In the name of our crucified and risen Lord. Amen. My anxiety about preparing a sermon as I conclude over 26 years as rector, and there were four years prior to that as an associate rector and then interim at St. James, my anxiety combined with the flood of coverage about artificial intelligence and chatbots made me wonder what kind of a final sermon that technology might produce. I decided not to find out. Hoping that's good news. And if you check that out, don't tell me. Let me begin with the obvious. This is hard. We've shared far more history than I can possibly summarize. History in our world. 9-11, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, the tragedy of racism and the repeated deaths of unarmed black men and women, 2009 recession, COVID. And then there's our own history together, rebuilding the church and the parish house, launching what was the Lilly Fellowship, and then when we claimed it as our own, the Rockwell Ministry to mentor new clergy building a ministry to transform our lives, and we hoped theirs as we partnered with people in southern Malawi, in Haiti, and children with a parent in prison. We've celebrated and continue to celebrate same-sex weddings. We've explored our own complicated history with the slave trade. And then just as a congregation, there have been all the weddings, the funerals, the baptisms, and most special to me, I think, the deep conversations with so many of you about life and about faith. All of it grounded in our worship together week after week at this altar and in the communion of Christ's body and blood. For a surprising number of you, for a surprising number of parishioners, I am the only rector you have ever known at St. James, even though there were 15 others before me. But it's not actually the history that's daunting today. It's seeing all of you, starting at the 8 o'clock and at the 9.10 now, and when we gather again at 6 p.m. It's seeing all of you. I look out, and I know you. So many of you have let me into your lives. That is the deepest honor imaginable, and has been for me amazing grace. I know for some of you, what you have struggled with and wrestle with now, what incredible joys and shattering grief you have known and that you carry with you. I know you. And while I have never been given to lots of self-revelation in sermons, 
I think the gospel is way more interesting than I am. You also know me. A little bit from sermons, from conversations in the hallways, through forums and meetings and Bible studies, in the hospitals and in your homes and ours. You celebrated with me. You celebrated with me and Tom when we brought our son Christopher home from Guatemala. You supported us all when Chris struggled with crippling anxiety and depression in his teens. And I'm happy to say that you get to see the happy young man he now is at the party later this month, if you're able to come. You supported we, me when my beloved mother died right before homecoming in 2004 and knew, to, and knew I needed to be there, not here. There is more than I can possibly summarize, but know that I cherish the memories I have of you, the notes you have written, and above all else, the life we have shared. I will until my very last days. Knowing me, though, as most of you do, you also know I will not leave without preaching the gospel. I do believe the gospel is both more interesting and vastly more important than me or any other preacher. I also happen to think that this particular gospel is exactly right for this day in our lives. And that's true even for those of you who may be new here. Thomas, the featured player in this gospel, is not the doubter he's labeled. I prefer to think of him as an honest skeptic. Show me a New Yorker who doesn't think that's an excellent thing to be. Most of us like to think of ourselves that way. He's demonstrated his skepticism before in the Gospels. He is who he is. Besides, why on earth wouldn't he be skeptical? The other disciples told Thomas an apparently fantastical tale about Jesus walking through a locked door. These are not men anyone would likely trust, certainly not at this point. They all fled, Thomas included, when Jesus was arrested, and they were nowhere to be seen when Jesus was crucified. Now, a week after, Jesus' appearance, the one they've talked about, they're still in that same room. The door is not locked, but it's closed. Thanks, guys. I'll have to see for myself. I think we'd be with Thomas. Well, Jesus appreciates an honest skeptic, too. For he does enter that room a second time and even offers the marks of his suffering, his hands, his feet, his side, for Thomas' inspection. There are two things, two things, that always make Jesus' actual presence undeniable, now and also then. And they're both apparent here. 
The first is Jesus' love, which excludes no one, excludes no one. Not disciples who fall away, not the skeptics, neither the fearful or the hope-filled. His ministry was about being with those who had little or no reason to hope, going to the outsiders and inviting them in, healing and forgiving the unhealable and the unforgivable. The first is his love, which excludes no one. The other is that Jesus knows suffering, not as an idea, but from the inside, as the devastating human reality it is. Jesus' life of healing and forgiving and his horrific death unequivocally demonstrate that there is no place, no place, God won't go to be with us and for us. Jesus' resurrection does not deny pain. Jesus' resurrection does not deny death. It goes through them and gets to another side. Jesus' wounds are as real as any of ours. So Thomas, seeing love stronger than death standing in front of him, proclaims Jesus his Lord and his God. He is the first in all the world to do that. He won't be the last. A 19th century essayist once wrote that all any parish needs is someone, just one, who knows God at more than second hand. Someone who knows God at more than second hand. I suspect Thomas was his patron saint. Today, I know that I leave a parish full of people, you, who know God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit firsthand. Together, we have learned how to pray. Together, we have waded into the scriptures in all their complexity and wonder. Together, we have cared for one another and called on Christ. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We may not see Jesus in the flesh, but we know him. And so, as St. Peter wrote, we love him. Too often, churches like to rely on the priest or the minister to be the official Christian. The one who believes it, proclaims it, ministers because of it. That is not St. James, not now. And I pray not ever, because what we've discovered is it's way too fabulous having our own relationship with God. It's not easy. It's often surprising. It's always challenging. 
but it's fabulous. That is what makes this parish a beacon of hope as we share that love with each other and then take it into the whole of our lives. So as I finish, know that I love you. Not as much as Jesus. Jesus loves you best, but a whole lot. And I will miss you more than you can imagine. I will miss you. I will miss the music. Oh my, the music. I will miss at other services the noise of kids. And in all of our life, the welcome that we just keep extending to all. I will carry you with me in all the days ahead. I trust you will remember me. And I trust, too, you will welcome my successor with open hearts, a new rector. I am confident will also insist on preaching the gospel. Most of all, I pray that both you and I will trust Jesus to lead us into the future. Jesus, our Lord and our God. Amen.